This week on Put Your Socks On, we look at the way cycling has been covered over the years, how that coverage is evolving, and what it might look like in the future. All that up next. Hello and welcome to Put Your Socks On. We have another great show for you this week. My name is Angus Morton and as always, I'm joined by co-host Bobby Zulik. Bobby, how are you, mate? Doing well, Gus. Hello to you. Hello, everyone listening. Man, the weather's been a little bit crazy where I'm from here in Greenville, South Carolina. We've had quite a week of weather with uh, high temps, low temps, tornado warnings, even snow. So, uh Kept me indoors a little bit, but uh, had a little bit more extra time to watch some bike racing, and there was plenty of it this last week. There was, Bobby. There was a ton of good racing this week. Um, we saw the Sun Tour, the Saudi Tour, Etois de Besieges, Valencia, and some more cross, as well as the Old old Man Winter Rally, um, an odd gravel event. What was exciting you this week? Yeah, let's start down in the, the beautiful sunshine uh, down there in the Sun Tour. You saw a lot of those young kids doing, uh, you know, getting their chance. Um, Jay Henley mm. won the overall down in the Sun Tour. Uh, young Sebastian Berwick, who is just a 20-year-old Continental pro, he finished second. And um, Nelson Paulus finished fourth. So that race, you know, the races for those young kids, I think, is is super special because they get a chance, you know, it was like tour California used to be now sun tour. You see this young podium. I think, uh, the the winner is, uh, I think he was 24. Uh, then Sebastian Mm. was 20 and third place was 26. So, I mean, all young kids, right. Getting their, their chance to shine. So kind of, kind of like the tour of California where, you know, back in the day, 2015, we had, you know, Peter Sagan who, you know, everyone knew who Peter Sagan was, but then he win, wins the overall in the Tour of California and then goes on to win, you know, to dominate the sport for three years. The following year, you had Philippe. Year after that, you had George Bennett. Then you had Egan Bernal. And then last year, you had Tajay Pogachar. So um, the calendar needs these sort of races that give these young kids a little bit of an opportunity to shine and um, look like Sun Tour was, was that race for these guys. Absolutely, and and the team that uh, Sebastian rides for, St. George uh, Continental Team, is a fantastic program. I've raced with them, have worked with them over the years, um, and it's good to see them getting a little bit of global recognition for what is a, a fantastic program. And it's t- it's a tough it's a tough program to run in in countries as we've seen in in the US and in Australia over the past few years. A lot of these small teams closing down. So, yeah, you know there is some there is some shoes there to fill with the with the demise of the Tour of California. Maybe it's down in Australia where we're going to look in the Herald Sun Tour. So it'll be interesting to see in the next few years. Yeah. We, the Saudi Tour. Yeah. The Saudi Tour was seemed to be a, a big sprinter's delight. You had Phil Bauhaus from mm. uh, Bahrain McLaren winning two stages in, in the overall. I think um, that's a great start for that team. Obviously, getting the old monkey off the back as far as race wins is a big thing for, for a new organization. A lot of changes on that team. It was interesting to see Cav in a support role for the first time. Yeah, that was that was quite special. I don't know even if he was mm. a Neo Pro, if he was ever you know doing lead outs. But um, you know, he's going to be an intricate part of that the cohesion of that group. And to see him at this stage of his career, you know, helping Phil Bauhaus win, uh, hat goes off to him for sure. 
also had Etoile de Bessege, which is kind of like the opening race on in, in France, in southern France. Benoit Kosofois won the overall there. I liked this race because it had a it had a short time trial in it. And that was uh one two for EF Education First with Betiol getting the win there. So nice to see these guys on their time trial bikes, at least uh for me. I like that. And a good start there for Betiol. I'll be interested to see what he can do this year. Uh off the back of a big year last year. Tadek Pogacar, our favorite rider, I think, uh, and also prime candidate for the most butchered name of the year, won two stages at Valencia. That was a big win, a really stacked field there. Yeah, Valencia, I mean, it's always really tough competition. And Tajay just rolls in there, showing no fear whatsoever, and and wins two, two big mountain stages and takes the overall at, at age 20. I saw a picture of him with champagne on the on the podium, and I was just thinking this kid isn't even legal enough to, to drink champagne. So, man, I'm just super happy for him. It's so great to to kind of see these guys, you know, mature. And now he's a seasoned vet at age 20. And uh, exactly. a shout out to our old friend Teo Gegenhart. Uh, he finished third overall. Did a really strong climb on that on that uh, penultimate stage. So hopefully he's set for a scorcher of a season this year as well. Speaking of being happy for uh, young guns and and guys that are you know coming off a big year last year, Walt Van Ert. Yeah, Walt Van Ert is back. So he won the the cross race, uh, the DVV Quattenquas. Uh, I can't even pronounce it. So as we know, Vanderpol is on holiday in Austria. If you follow him on Instagram, he looks like uh, an Instagram model as well. And uh, <laughs> not to take anything away from from Van Ert, but man, so good to see him back. He was just off the podium at the World Championships, and now he's he's on the top step. Must have been a hard hard road to to get back to where he's at, and just super excited to see him healthy, and looking forward to seeing seeing him during the road season. Another event that's a little left of center that was on yesterday on Sunday in the, my my town of residence, Boulder, Colorado, uh, was the Old Man Winter Rally. If anyone who follows the weather, uh, which I don't know if many people do, or anyone who lives in Colorado, but we had a couple of feet of snow on friday and saturday and yeah just an insane amount of snow and then again on sunday and i woke up very early sunday morning saw the snow teeming down and thought there's absolutely no chance you'll catch me out of my bike uh and i went up straight into the mountains and had a wonderful day on the snow on the skis Uh, but i returned home to hear of the carnage that was the old man winter rally yeah, that's too bad that race got canceled. But man, I, I I'm just impressed that anyone even showed up. Um, I saw the pictures yeah. of that, and um, let's just say this old guy was inside riding Zwift instead of trying to brave any elements. Um, yeah, it must have been super bad conditions if they had to cancel that race after just you know 15k. And I'm sure there's a lot of cold people confused on on what to do. But um, yeah. Weird weather all the way around. And Tour of Colombia is starting this week, yes. which, you know, after the Colombian champs last week, there's a lot of good bike riders down there, a lot of guys going very quickly at the moment. That's going to be cool. Yeah, I'm super excited to see this one. But let's face it, um, this race, this time of year in Colombia, mostly at extreme altitudes, I think it's going to be dominated by 
the Colombians. Well, then again, you know, most races these days are do- dominated by Colombians. But um, I think... <laughs> exactly right. I, I think it's going to be a, a great race. Um, obviously, it was like when the Amgen Tour of California was going on, all of us Americans, regardless if it was, you know, in May or or February, we, we showed up there because, you know, you don't get a chance to race against uh, the European pros on your on your home roads very often. So I think it's going to be we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. That's for sure. Um, super excited because it starts uh, tomorrow with a team time trial and. That's always one of my favorite events. And man, can you imagine starting your season off in extreme altitude with a team time trial as the first day? Whew. Oh, that sounds like the worst. <laughs> <laughs> as someone from sea level. <laughs> That'll be a tough one. But yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about next week, I'm sure. We will indeed, Bobby. And that brings us uh, to the main part of today's show where we are here to take a quick look at the way cycling has been covered over the years, but more importantly, how that coverage is evolving and what that coverage is, you know, it, what that coverage might look like uh, in the future. Uh, I guess many of you are familiar with the origin of uh, what was at the time the world's longest bike race, the Tour de France, uh, certainly the biggest bike race in the world. And that the, the, the origin of that was marked by a rivalry between two sports newspapers, Le Auto and Lavello. Um, Le Auto going on to create what, what, what was inspired by the, the track six-day events and they created the Tour de France and, and it became what it is now essentially as a way to steal readership away from uh, the opposing newspaper. Interestingly, uh, the, the track six-day events, which started way back in the 1860s, were incredibly popular. There's a, there's a famous 1897 New York Times article uh, where titled A Brutal Exhibition, which reported on the uh, six-day race at Madison Square Garden. The knowledge that a man can propel himself 1,769 miles in 110 and a half hours is purchased too dearly when it costs the reason and physical well-being of the person who imparts it. The USA subsequently banned multi-day events, uh, just as a side note, for a single person, uh, and that was the birth of the Madison event. But the point being that these events were wildly popular, they still are now, um, and they were all driven out of, the modern day sport has been driven out of entertainment and the ability of different outlets to cover and interpret the stories Uh, from the road and from the boards uh, and distribute them to the masses. So we wanted to kind of hear from three distinct voices within the the world of modern cycling on what the evolving landscape of cycling coverage today looks like. Bobby, what was cycling coverage for you growing up in in the US? It was uh, not great. Let's just go back in time. You know, when, when, when cycling coverage started, you actually had to be at the race or read it in a newspaper, listen it, listen to it on the radio. Then TV came in and TV was great if you lived in Europe, but like living in the US, maybe we got a 30 minute wide world of sports episode where they'd show some of the Tour de France or, or Paris-Roubaix. And uh, for me, I, I grew up before the internet. So there was a lot of, you know, running to get Velo News out of your mailbox, winning magazine out of your mailbox. And you start reading about these races and looking at the pictures. But it was all, what, two weeks later, three weeks later, maybe a month later. So it wasn't really live. It wasn't really real. But then then we move into live television, you know, now streaming the internet obviously the, you know changed everything social media so now you have 
all the races, all the results right at your fingertips. You don't even have to go to the races. We spoke with Ben Delaney from Vela News, and he said, yeah, back in the day, you actually had to gasp, gasp, talk to the riders. And uh, that's what I remember is, you know, growing up and you'd walk outside of the the car because we didn't have buses back then. And there'd be, you know, a couple journalists there with their microphones in hand. And, you know, you actually had to speak to them. Now, now you can do it from the confines of the big bus or from, from your bedroom. So things, things definitely have changed, but, you know, being able to speak with some of these people involved in this new way of covering the sport, I think is going to be very intriguing to to us as well as you, our listeners. Yeah, we spoke to uh, a rep from Zwift, Flow Bikes, which is an online streaming platform and kind of network for cycling content. And uh, someone on the ground uh, who's doing the coverage or collecting the coverage of cycling um, at the biggest events, Jared Gruber. Let's hear from him first up. Today on Put Your Socks On, we have a very special guest, Jared Gruber. Jared and his wife, Ashley, are as blue chip of cycling photographers as it gets. So we are very, very happy to have Jared on today. Jared, welcome to Put Your Socks On. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's get into it. I mean, um, obviously, we know you from your work. Um, You obviously love the sport of cycling. But how does one become a cycling photographer to begin with? I mean, it's a pretty special lifestyle, I can imagine. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't my plan. I, I it never crossed my mind as a potential thing to do. Uh, I, I knew once I started riding bikes, um, when I first started going to school at the University of Georgia, all I wanted to be was a professional bike racer. Um, I eventually managed that feat in the smallest of ways, but even if it wasn't clear to me at that point, it was very clear that the ceiling was very close at hand for me. Um, and so that was in 2008. And it was actually almost exactly 12 years ago today, February 12th, 2008. I was on a training ride. Uh, the day was supposed to be a super hard day, but I kind of aborted it. It was just feeling terrible. And two friends and I were riding through town on a road I never ride on. And this girl walked out in front of us and my friends kind of talked to her more than I did. And I just kind of said, hi, and we started riding past her. And then probably 10 seconds later, I said, a weird feeling. And I, I, I flipped it. Like I'd never done anything like that before. I definitely wasn't one of the, a predatory bike racer of that variety. Um, and I turned around and I started talking to her and I said, what's your name? And like, my name's Ashley and Jared. And she was definitely trying to fend me off a bit, but then she said these this magic word, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm about to go study for the year in Austria, which is where my family's from. And I was like, Oh my God, my family's from Austria too. Where are you going? And, and like immediately like we had this, it was kind of an icebreakers word, you know? And then after that, I got her number a few minutes later, we had tea that night because neither of us drink coffee at that point. And, um, a few months later I was moving to Austria. I quit racing in the middle of the season and and I moved and it was, it was during the year that she was studying there that I started taking pictures. It was just, it seemed like this natural thing. I was in this beautiful place. I was doing what I absolutely love to do more than anything else, which is ride my bike. And I started taking pictures of everything and I started posting it to, to Facebook and I wrote some small articles 
um, for the small cycling website, Ted Cycling News, and people started noticing it. And then somebody noticed some stuff on Facebook and put me in contact with a guy who's still an editor of mine, uh, Tim Shamber, then at Road Magazine, now at uh, Peloton. And things just started like kind of picking up steam from there, which was just crazy. You know, I was like, I, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was just purely just taking pictures for fun. And then, yeah, just the, the snowball started rolling, you know, and um, not too long after that, we got married. Um, and it was right as Peloton started, uh, became a thing. And so we took, well, we asked for, instead of gifts, we asked for money and we took that money, got plane tickets, bought a 1500 euro car and went straight to Europe with it. Um, and then we just started kind of chasing stories that fall of 2010. Um, and along the way we met some people that are still now like really close friends of ours. And one in particular, Soren Jensen at, um, Castelli gave us our first real job. And that was just another one of those things where like the snowball got a little bit bigger. Um, we did a shoot for them that winter and this is Andreas clear, um, Lizzie Armistead and Martin Muscat. And Oh my God, it was the scariest thing in the whole world. We had no idea what we were doing. And it's like, it had just snowed and it was freezing. They had clear and shorts and a Jersey on the Kopenberg. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and then, yeah, like that was, that went really well and they were really happy. So the next year we came back, well, we had no place to stay. So we were staying on people's couches and then we ended up working out something with Castelli and they had a company apartment. We spent a whole bunch of time there the next year. And, and then each year, like little by little, like something else would open up. And then suddenly one day we were full-time photographers and we were on the road 10 months a year and this is our life and nowhere along the way to we ever like, well, this is what we want to do. It just, just seemed like the way we would go until it didn't work out and we would just go back home and find another job. <laughs> That's a long story. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Wow. No, no, it's great. It's great. So you had no prior, um, education or experience with, with photography. This was just a, a passion of yours and then it was able to turn into a business or did you actually have tons of the, those cameras and no, I was, you know, just always playing around with stuff. I, Nothing. I definitely like, I, I was always photography definitely was of interest to me. I mean, I definitely had a camera, like a small, like pocket camera around me for a long time, but I never did anything with it really. But, um, I studied in Europe for a year in 2003, 2004, and I, I took pictures then, but it was just like for family and friends. Um, but it was definitely always something that I, I thought was amazing and interesting. And it, just happened somewhere on the way that it turned out to be the thing that I guess I'm, I'm good at. Just kind of a funny thing, you know, like, especially if you've been in the world of bike racing and you're fully committed to it and you're like, I want to be a bike racer, you know, and I beat my head against the wall, training so hard, doing everything I can. And no matter what, you're just not good enough, you know, at a certain point, like, it's just not there. Like, sorry. Um, and that was, that was frustrating, you know, but then I picked up a camera and I actually found something that I was good at, you know, like somehow I, I, I drew my lucky straw and I had a chance to actually do something that for some reason, it's just, it works for me. You know, like it just ticks all my boxes, like taking pictures of bike stuff. is just, <laughs> it's my thing. <laughs> well, we, uh, we appreciate you for, for finding that talent. <laughs> that's for sure. Because, uh, I not only seen your pictures, but I've hung out with you and your eye for ca catching 
on the bike photography is is amazing. So let's start from the beginning. Like what like when was your first like when did you go to your first race to actually take a picture of a professional bike race? Was that that year, two thousand nine? Uh, two thousand nine I did a little trip through that website Pez Cycling News um with a tour company, Velo Classic. And I got to go to a few of the spring classics in Belgium. It was my first time I ever went to Flanders. And I mean, I was just there basically as a tourist. Um, but I, I got to kind of see it for the first time. And I took pictures for the first time of a, of a real bike race. And it just blew my mind. It was just everything I ever dreamt it would be. You know, I mean, just like pretty much every bike dork in the world. When you think of Belgium, you know, this is the coolest thing. And then to be there and not have to be groveling and just kind of enjoy it. It was amazing. Um, but I didn't really start shooting, shooting, I guess, until I guess it was like 2011. There were just little dabbles here or there. And then 2011, we actually started shooting some classics and looking back at it now, failing spectacularly. I think it was, might've been 2012, we shot Roubaix. And I think we saw the race twice. <laughs> it was a colossal mess whereas now when ashley and i are separated and we do our own thing i think we see the race between us close to two dozen times um for me it's a lot of experience it was being taught what the possibilities are by an amazing race chaser um from belgium who kind of took us under his wing and we still do a lot of stuff with his name's yuri um basically showing me what was possible like to me back in the day i would think if i saw a race six times that was amazing but then we saw Gent Level again the first time with Yuri, and he saw the race like 24 times. And you're like, what? This wasn't even my – I couldn't even wrap my head around it, you know? And so, like, to see how much room there was for growth and to see what the possibilities were and to see, oh, I could do that, it, like, it sparked me, you know? And, and I'm a huge map dork as it is, and so it really triggered something in me. And so then I started working on my Roubaix project year after year, and then we started uh, shooting the races on motos. And so then now, like the, the chase that we've been doing the last few years ends up with me at some point on like single track trails, going straight across fields, obviously dirt roads, lanes, everything like that. But I mean, anything possible, like we are on that as long as uh, since it's been dry, really, we can go anywhere we want. And it's just nuts. <laughs> it's just complete free for all. I mean, I don't think it's unsafe in any way, but it's a very... It's a, it's a wild day. <laughs> oh yeah. There's, there's no rules on that day. Um, <laughs> speed limits are being broken every which way, but loose. And, um, I never got to race those races, but I did go up there in a support way a couple times. And you know, the people that do those races, they, what did you call them? A race chaser? Oh, yeah, we just call it like, is that the term that you use for I your, mean, like for year? We, we just, I always think of it as chasing the race. Like it's, it always feels like you're chasing it, you know, I mean, you, yeah. you leave the race course and you're trying to get back to it. And it's this, it's this art form in its own way. And it's hard and it's scary. It's, it takes a delicate balance between aggression, politeness, boldness. <laughs> uh, I was horrified. I was horrified when I saw the little list of all the drop zones or all the wheel zones or all the pave zones that I had to go to. I, I just put my hand up and said, listen, I am terrible with a map. I will get lost. Like, just give me the easiest possible one. And they kind of looked at me like, 
you don't know these roads? And I didn't. So then when I told them why I didn't, they understood and gave me, uh, I think I walked from one side of the road to the other and then back twice because they were doing loops around. So it made it much, much easier. But okay, so you obviously gained a lot of experience through, you know, just walking through the fire. Um, how about now? Like wh what's changed between back then and now? Is it just a confidence thing or do you just, do you just have this dialed? I don't, that's the thing. I mean, I guess there's always this feeling that at some point you're going to feel confident and secure. And I feel like every time I go to a race, I'm almost panicking, you know I mean? Cause in the morning of that race, you wake up and you don't have a single picture, you know, it's all at zero. And I have this horrible fear that you're just not going to get anything that day, that, that your chase isn't going to go right, that something's just not going to work and you're not going to get it, you know? And, and I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm perpetually scared. I'm so nervous. I'm like, I, I'm a basket case. Like, I, and that's why I need Ashley that these days, like she, she keeps me steady and kind of in one place. Cause she's just a lot calmer than I am. But yeah, I'm just a bundle of nerves before the big days. Um, but there are certain things that are amazing now because like every year, um, the press center is in the exact same spot and every year, like you park it in the same spot and Ashley is amazing at this. Like if it weren't, if it were up to me, I would forget every single year where everything was, but Ashley knows it's like, Oh, we're doing Dwarves of Flander today. Oh yeah. Yeah. We go over here and this is where we're going to park. And then we're going to pick up a couple of pastries here and you can take that with you on the moto and it'll be great. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. That sounds great. <laughs> Um, so we are like, I mean, yeah, in some ways I still feel like it's my first race every time I shoot. And then in other ways it's like, it's like coming home. I mean, it's like, you know, the eighth or ninth time you've shot a race and it's like, Oh, I know this, I can do this. I've seen this, but at the same time, it's so scary because it's, it's new every year. It's fresh and it's, it's terrifying in that regard. And, and are you driving yourself to these different points or do you have a motorcycle guy that you rely on to get you from point A to point B? Um, so for the classics, we'll just, we'll do like the one day races in the spring. So the first race we're going to go back to will be the Omlopet Newsblad. And there I will be on a moto in the race uh, with a good friend and my driver, uh, his name's Michael Asur. Uh I met him through riding bikes uh, out of Ghent, Eastern Ghent. He's a passionate bike rider. And we met doing the group ride, the Skelda Peloton. And I met all those people through Strava a long time ago. And at that point, he was just kind of like a hobbyist uh, moto driver, you know? And and another friend said, hey, Mikhail, you know, he, he, um, he does moto. You should talk to him. And then we got him the first time we uh, we shot Flanders. And then we were out of the race. And then slowly, 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 we've been working up and like I've been gaining experience. He's been gaining experience. And then last year was the first year that we were actually really in races and we were in all the Flanders classics except for the Flanders. Um, so yeah, so in a way, like we've kind of grown up together and I love that. Like he's such a calming influence. He's a friend. It's just, it's something I look forward to. It's just a really steady thing for me. So for the own loop, we'll go there. We'll drive in together. Uh, I'll get on the moto and then Ashley will more than likely meet up with Yuri and then she'll go in his car. She'll see the race a million times with Yuri in his places. And then I'll be in race, uh, with Mikia. But then even there, I still shoot kind of funny with how I shoot. Like I don't really shoot that much on the bike. I think those shots are kind of boring and don't necessarily always give me what I want. So we still kind of chase the race. Like we're not in the race. It's like, now, instead of having to be five minutes in front of the race before we can get back on, because, you know, there's like the lead flag car or whatever, 
you have to be in front of that if you're not an in-race moto. But once you're an in-race moto and you come back onto the course, it can be two seconds in front of the race and you just like pop on and boom, you're gone. And so I'll find a spot, I'll shoot. And then I won't even try and pass the race because everything's on such small roads. And so first row to come to leave the race course. And then we work our way back on as quickly as possible, get back on the course and then do it again and again and again and again and again and again. And it's mad. <laughs> and, uh, and so obviously I do not know all the roads of Flanders. I've ridden a lot of them, but I do not know them in that way. So always, always, always have a map open um, in my hand via uh, my phone and just picking it up on the fly. So I use this app called Map Out, and you can see the route on it, and you can see where you are in relation to it, and then just keep weaving in and out and take as many pictures as I possibly can in the 200K of the race. <laughs> and and through, throughout, 200, throughout a 200-kilometer race, how many photos will you take? Oh, I bet with me on the moto in the race, especially because I have a – an addiction to taking pictures of people on the side of the road between the two of us. I bet we'll take 4,000 pictures about maybe five <laughs> take a lot. I mean, wow. there's no reason not to take them. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to edit, but in the end, probably a hundred ish, but just put as many things in the black box as possible, you know, and just, I mean, obviously I'm trying to make pictures the whole way along and the whole way throughout, you know, but I'm definitely of the, the thinking that, we should put pictures in there. And I just love the idea of filling up my little black box. <laughs> um, I don't know. Jared, I want to ask, um, you know, you've, you've been a cycling photographer for what, nearly 12 years now um, or, you know, professional, I guess, for 10 years now. Um, how, like, how is covering a race? How is shooting photos? How has... Um, delivering photos and the demand for photos and stuff changed in that time. Um, you know, I'm interested to see like the progression and I guess we've seen the rise of things like Instagram and that sort of stuff over that period. So you've been privy to a, a big change, I feel, in the way that we access and consume uh, photos and, 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 and content around the sport. Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, there's pretty much nothing more important in terms of getting our work out to the world than Instagram. I mean, it basically serves as our, our portfolio now and it's, it's how we communicate with the world. It's how we find clients. It's how people know what we're up to. So that definitely, but that was early. Like I, I think I jumped on Instagram pretty early. I think in, it might've been 2011, 2012. Um, and that was a big kind of sea change for us. Um, but and then obviously a lot of the changes in terms of how we put our pictures out has just come with us becoming more and more professional. Like now we have a stock site, we upload as many pictures as we can for all the clients that we have as quickly as possible after a race and people want them immediately, <laughs> which is um, pretty funny because I'm many things, but I'm not necessarily the fastest when it comes to working on pictures. I mean, it, it just takes time, you know? I mean, I take a lot of pictures and, and generally it's, I'm editing, I'm also working on Ashley's pictures as well. And so it's just a lot of pictures I have to go through and to figure and to make sense of what you have in front of you. I mean, if I give you 5,000 of anything, it's going to take you some time to figure out what's there, you know? Um, and so it's kind of finding a, a happy medium between satisfying what like the pictures that make me happy and the ones that obviously get us paid. <laughs> um, is that, am I on the right track in terms of answering this? 
Yeah, totally. And 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 I think like like then too, um, you. I mean, well, something I like that was interesting you just said then uh, or before. Sorry, was about how you you tend to like take yeah. a lot of off the bike photos. Um, you I, find the on the bike photos sort of boring. And and I'm interested to hear like on that right, like how would you like to see cycling covered and what do you, do you think like, what do you think the future of that coverage is, is going to look like? Like how is that evolving that I, storytelling process? It happened when we went to tour Beijing, I think it was in 2013. We had a really cool opportunity to go shoot that race. It was my first time I've, I'd ever been on a moto in a race. And, but there really wasn't that much to shoot. It was just this kind of a boring race, but what was on the side of the road was fascinating. There was just all these people just standing there in their doorways. And I just, I thought they were the most interesting thing in that bike race. And so it was at that race for the first time that I started taking pictures of people on the side of the road. And ever since then, it's just become this like project of mine. And I spend probably most of the day taking pictures of the side of the road. You know, it's like we're on the course and I'm just waiting to go to, to my next spot. I just, I take a picture of anything I find interesting, you know? And, and so to me, it's, I find that fascinating. You know, it's like, everybody's looking in at you, you know, like you're in this river of race, you know, but the banks of that river are pretty amazing. Like it's, it's just the normal world out there. These people just walk out of their house and they might be in their robes from, you know, their night gowns and they're just standing there drinking a cup of coffee, you know, and it's, it's just so normal. And I feel like this race that I'm in is so alien. Like you're in this weird world and right outside of this road, it's all perfectly normal every day you know and the more that i i've gotten into that it's just it really is it's stuck on me and right now ashley's shooting the tour of columbia with ef and she's down there by herself it's like the first time we've ever done that and the picture she's been sending every day of the people on the side of the road they're amazing and it's just i get so pumped to see what she's seeing and it's i don't know i love that but in terms of how that actually affects like how we move forward and things like that I don't think anything like that will ever really like truly catch on. I mean, people still want to see bike races, but I don't know. I, I feel like there's hope for communicating that, that bike races are this kind of weird thing, you know? I mean, it's this gigantic sporting event happening on more or less open roads throughout an entire area. You know, it's, it's, it's very connected to the land. It's very connected to the people rather than like going to, a stadium to see a game or a coliseum, you know what I mean? Um, but in terms of how, in terms of how things move going forward, I don't know. I mean, I know for us, uh, all I can ever hope for is more access to races via being in race, which takes time and sometimes a whole bunch of luck. Um, just because being in race makes our life easier. I don't think I'll ever be a classic um, moto photographer, but man, it's nice to be able to just go where you need to go and not have to convince somebody who has no idea that you're allowed to be on the race course, that you can go on the race course. There's a race coming. Like, yes, I know. That's why I'm here. And I have two cameras on my back and I'm on a motorcycle. I wouldn't be here otherwise. <laughs> that's what the sticker's for. And that's what the vest is for. <laughs> and it's just amazing like, how much of your life you can spend doing that, you know? And I don't know. It's That's frustrating. Really frustrating. Especially at the Tour de France. But I can moan about that all day long um you know like i've watched you guys uh as photographers for i i guess unreal unrealizingly but since you know the very beginning of your careers i guess um and i and you do have a very unique visual storytelling 
um, capability, um, both of you. And, and so I was just intrigued to see like how you would, you know, if you were to be able to, to share the story of cycling or how you would like to see that being shared in the future, I was just in, in, intrigued to hear your thoughts um, given you'd sort of seen so much of a change. Huh. I mean, that's, that's an interesting way to put that. Like how would I mm. like to see it go in the future? And maybe you've already said that, but it just hit me for, for us personally. Um, I am more and more and more captivated by the inner workings of teams and just the story around it. I, I feel like in a way doing like, I guess the thing that got us noticed early on, we're taking these big, beautiful, like kind of panoramas, these really pretty scenics, and I mean, obviously I love those, but at a certain point they really start to, they just feel empty, you know, and you don't feel like, well, that's cool. It's some people in a landscape. That's nice. Pretty clouds. And, but then as we've gotten closer and closer to a team, like say, EF, you start to realize how much more access you have and how you can capture pictures that are, are special, you know, and Ashley's taking these pictures right now in Columbia that I, I really do think are possible because we've been with that team for so long and it's just not a big deal. Like she can move around as she pleases. And some of them are just so simple and so basic. And it's like the one picture we both laughed at because she said it. And then I said it separately. It's like, it felt like you were a yearbook photographer and not in a derisive way. It's like, man, it's like we have a chance to, to document this weird little family of people that travel around for like 300 days a year. And it's, I don't know. I like it. I like that. Um, I wish that I could live a better lifestyle while chasing a bike race and not be fat and miserable, but I, I do like feeling a part of a team and finding a way to document like what's actually happening, which is really hard. And it involves people being okay with you being there, but it's really cool. Like, I mean, last year, I remember at GB Duro, the first day we ended up on the race, we were in Lachlan's hotel room like as he was waking up and it was like this is so cool like this is so different like I don't ever get to do this and he doesn't care and he's chill and that's fine you know or then later like the next day I, I could only shoot this one section by bike so I rode my bike with him for like three hours and I'm like this is and it was just a chat you know and it was just so normal and chill and and it just really felt man, I would really like to do more of this. You know, like I, I love the stories that are out there and I think it's really hard to capture them without being invasive and annoying, but they are there. And I know that there's some way to, to get in there, to take a really special picture, to maybe write a really special article because I did start as a writer and it still intrigues me a lot. And yeah, I just, I feel like the chance to communicate a story is really the stuff that gets me interested. Like if I, and when I look back in 20 years and we're all done with this, I hope I don't want to be like, well, you know, I got a really cool finishing shot that one year in Roubaix 2027, you know, like nobody's going to care about that, you know, but when you can actually break through and take something that's special and interesting is, I don't know. Like, I feel like more and more you're trying to find that picture that, that lasts because most, I mean, if I had a hundred pictures by the time I've, sent them to our clients they're already just like nobody cares about them anymore they're just some random race day whatever it's just another day of racing but every once in a while you take a picture that you look at later and you go that one that was a, that was something special you know and I'm a, i i guess for better or worse like i'm totally obsessed with that and i would i just want to take those pictures however that is 
that make me happy. <laughs> and that's what it's all about, right? I mean, you know, we're trying to tell a story, everyone's trying to tell a story, and it just kind of gets lost sometimes. But, you know, telling that story, creating those heroes, you know, documenting their success, their their struggles, that's what I really think is going to allow cycling to get a bigger, broader audience. And, you know, you can, in a photo, you can, that comes through so clear and so quick. And I just think that, yeah, all the teams, I think they are kind of catching on to it, but, you know, also the race organizers, the, the governing bodies, they need to focus a little bit more on the little nuances of our sport and what makes it tick instead of just looking at the results sheet at the end and saying, you know, this guy won or that, that, that woman won. Absolutely. So thank you so much for, thank you so much for doing what you guys do and sharing what your passion with us and allowing us to understand the sport a little bit better and, and hopefully more and more get some of those great stories that, that come out of this phenomenal sport that we're just scratching the surface of. Thanks. Next up, uh, we hear from Nina Kaplan, who is the VP of Media at Zwift Esports. And we spoke with her uh, over email over the course of the last week to hear how Zwift was aiming to make uh, the burgeoning field of e-racing uh, a fan-orientated and entertaining sport. Bobby, what were the takeaway points from, from that exchange? Well, as you know, just like with gravel cycling, e-sports and Zwift and all this indoor riding is is brand new it's relatively brand new and it racing on zwift was at the beginning very organic um it was the community that was organizing themselves to do races um you know followed by they, they had a twitch channel youtube they would talk to each other over discord and and now it's turning into a whole other massive market uh so much so that it's been endorsed by the uci and it will be adding a championship racing calendar uh nationals and the world championships to their portfolio um, I think they were really smart because they were able to really capitalize on what they could do. It being a virtual environment, you could basically do whatever you want, right? So they, they kind of said, yeah, let's, let's put in a commentator here. Let's show the actual footage. And I'm sure it was quite janky at the start, and they're tweaking it every single time they do these events. And soon you're going to see... You know, who knows? We may see Bob Roll and Christian Vandevelde and, and Phil Liggett announcing on Zwift one day. Um, this racing is is for real. There's no doubt about it. Um, the one thing that she definitely, her point in, in her emails that I really um, appreciated was that they're trying to tell a story. They're trying to create video feeds, race type situations, maybe even, you know, live audio talking back and forth. And this is going to create a lot of interest because anyone can do this. It's not just the the professionals. And that's kind of the allure of this e-racing craze now is that you can race against um, pros on the same courses and, you know, try to get better and better. Um, so yeah, Zwift was designed to be a comp complementary to the existing sport of cycling. You know, there's, 
there's no way that it's going to be only e-racing, but it definitely complements that. And um, focusing on that entertainment and competition on demand. So, for instance, this last weekend was very bad weather here. And I wanted to kind of test some of these things out. And they have what's called the Tour de Zwift going on right now. And uh, I think this is makeup week. So if you miss some of the stages, you can go back and do it. And um, man, they are, they are not easy. So you got to remember, it's not the, you know, it's not the real world. It is a game. So there are tricks to learning how to, um, to be a little bit more successful. It's not just the, the watts that matter. You need to know how to draft. You need to use your power-ups at the right time. And, um, it, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I was on it for two hours yesterday and it felt like it was, I was on there for 30 minutes, but it's, it's not about the raw power. That's, I think, where a lot of people kind of get confused with with Zwift is that it, it is a game. It is an eSport. And that's what I found really interesting, I think, about, at least for me, what I found interesting about the way that they're capturing all that, that well, they're creating an entertaining platform is that, um, and I didn't really consider this, but that idea that, you know, you as the user participate in the same event as or in, you know, this across the same course and it's in this virtual world, almost like a video game as these professional athletes and so I've sort of always, I've always envisioned like when you watch cycling, the entertainment value of watching cycling is is sitting down and, and, and what plays out on the screen is great. And then the experience, that doesn't really translate, like it might motivate you to get out on the road and enjoy cycling out in the outdoors, but it's not the entertainment value. Like the, the link between those two things is purely motivational. But but here, the there's entertainment in participating on the same course at the at, at, you know and and kind of in the same world as these professional races, which I guess was a perspective um and an area of of entertainment, I guess, that I hadn't really thought about before. So I mean it's kind it's actually like at first I was like there's absolutely no way I would probably enjoy watching or um you know being sort of involved with Zwift but I, I I feel myself coming around the more and more I sort of learn about the the ecosystem that is uh Zwift cycling Zwift bridges the gap between the traditional esports and traditional sport I always looked at esports as being that's not a sport because you're sitting there holding a controller but um Zwift mm. is actually the first physical esport where the power of the competitor powers the performance of the game and that's super interesting that's a huge i think that's a huge point that needs to be emphasized as well is that like it's it's human powered it's the first example of being able to participate in a virtual sport physically yeah and you know in this situation they're they're thinking ahead um obviously a lot of people that don't know how it works or complaining that, you know, people are cheating by not putting in their appropriate weight, their height, you know, their offsets wrong, whatever. But they're, they're, they're having these unique spectacles now live and in a venue. So where all this is controlled and this, this is like every other sport. They have a stadium, they have a venue, they have a gate, they have concessions, uh, who knows? They may be on to absolutely the future. I mean, you look at track cycling, it's very similar. You already mentioned that, you know, the Madison, which was so big um, back in, in uh, the 1900s here in the, in the USA. Um, it makes sense because people want to be a part of it. They want to watch it. They want to see it. They want to smell it. And yeah, I guarantee you when you get a uh, hundred people in a, in a, in an arena, 
sweating to um, one of the courses on Zwift, you are definitely going to smell it. <laughs> but uh, you are, you are. But with the 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 UCI getting involved now, they've actually um, working on a rule book for cycling esports, which is due to be published pretty soon. That's kind of interesting and maybe a little bit scary. Yeah. I mean, I guess it needs to happen, but yeah, it's funny. And then to combat the 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 cheating, or I would say misrepresentation of reality, because a lot of these people, I just don't think know all the steps that you have to do to actually calibrate and get the correct numbers. They have gotcha. they have a um, platform called Zada, Zwift Accuracy and Data Analysis, where Zwift data is compared to outdoor riding data with a power meter to ensure that performances can be replicated. So it's kind of like, you know, the anti-doping, uh, yeah. anti-cheating. They've already thought of all this stuff. So, And I find that interesting because the first first esports like sanction race that they had, the, the winner was, um, or the, yeah, the, the, the champs that they had, the winner was disqualified for for cheating and cycling's had obviously uh, uh you know a checkered history with that sort of thing and so i'm hoping and i'm wondering like you know right off the bat that's transferred to the virtual world and i'm, I'm interested to see how they combat that and also to in order to you know to to build an audience and to build a uh you know a, a strong following yeah let's be clear it's not going to replace traditional cycling but yeah. i do believe maybe maybe i reckon it might i i I, I reckon it might. I reckon she was being, um, to, if I'm honest, I think she was being PC when she said that we weren't trying to replace cycling because that would freak everybody out. But I, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what happens. Well, again, like it or leave it, it it's here <laughs> to stay. It's growing every day. Yeah. You know, try it. Um, don't poo-poo it until you actually gave it a shot and get out of it what you want to get out of it, not necessarily worrying about what the other people are doing. But for sure, being on that for, for two hours yesterday when it was bad weather, it uh, definitely got the job done as far as me being able to at least get some physical activity in. So wish them a bunch of luck. Obviously, it's a new and exciting part of the sport that's, that's here to stay. And finally, we sat down with Ian Dilley from Flowbikes, uh, which is an online streaming service that provides many of the top uh, provides coverage to uh, many of the world's uh, top UCI road races, um, men's, females, a bunch of other cross, um, some mountain bike stuff, uh, as well as some original content and commentary. Um, and we sat with him to hear uh, what he feels is the future of video coverage for the sport of cycling. G'day, Ian Dilley. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, for our listeners, Ian Dilley is um, a producer or the producer at Flow Bikes, which is a broadcaster, an online broadcaster uh, for a bunch of cycling content. But Ian, you're probably better equipped to describe exactly what Flow Bikes is uh, and exactly what you do there. Yeah, so I am a producer at Flow Bikes, but I guess my title is senior producer, but everyone here wears a lot of different hats. And it's uh, I would describe it as a platform for live stream and on-demand bike race coverage. And then uh, myself and my team also uh, produce content around the racing, leveraging our race footage and access to races and racers and, and just other, other fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, we have a TV app, phone app, and then, of course, a traditional website, flowbikes.com. 
And I guess uh, I mean, our first question is, um, you guys are online bases, you just said. Uh, how, like, how has that, I guess, changed or enhanced the way cycling is covered? And how do you see your, like, what, yeah, how, how is your ability to cover cycling enhanced by, by the internet? I mean, for us, it's all about being able to see the bike race. I think this is something that seems commonplace now, but if you've been a bike racing fan since the days of, you know, uh, getting hand-me-down VHS tapes from your buddies, then you know how difficult it's been to watch, you know, even some of the world's biggest bike races, you know, uh, even in the 90s, early 2000s, the Tour de France was just uh, highlight footage on cable TV. So now with uh, with our platform, at least you can watch you know, hundreds of bike races. You know, we have over 300 days of racing and yeah, it's all on your phone, on your computer, on your TV, live on demand. So Pretty much everything we do or everything we try to do is based around just watching bike racing because um, we're in an era where you can see the racing, um, all the races almost, and anytime. So obviously you guys are dependent on the local station that's carrying the, the race, right? So what would be what what are your challenges there? What what limits you or allows you to do this um, in in a situation where you're dependent on somebody else to get the feed? So for us, when we purchase rights to an event, the way the rights are delivered are. Um, most of the time actually produced by the race itself. So for an event like the Giro d'Italia, which is um, live and on demand on Flow Bikes, that entire production is uh, produced within the Giro d'Italia organization. It's produced by essentially their state broadcaster, RAI, RAI. But that, that all happens within the context of the Giro, and the feed is delivered um uh, in a roundabout way through some intermediaries uh, to us from uh, from the Giro d'Italia. So in terms of uh, getting the actual footage, uh, the challenges there are generally the dealing with intermediaries. Um, the rights are bought and sold and traded. And so, you know, our rights... Um, you know, come 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 to us in, in sort of a roundabout way. But we also do our own Flow Sports has its own live production department and does its own live production. So, um, you know, in that case, we have direct control over what we produce. But that being said, yeah, I think more to your point, Bobby, delivering race footage live from the top of a mountain in the Alps or even from, you know, a cycle cross course in Boulder, there are inherent challenges in that, and well, I mean, we feel like technology is at our fingertips, um, kind of as we just experienced setting up this call. There, there are always, there are always technical difficulties and challenges, and we're always, we're always putting out fires and and trying to deliver the best product possible. Um, yeah, there's a lot of times that uh, we're we're running around. I mean. At the Giro last year, you know, literally having somebody, uh, you know, pleading not to turn off the satellite access so we can re-deliver the last 5K of the stage, which got cut off or, or whatever else. So um, so there's always technical abilities. And then, um, 
yeah, I think from our side too, as a coverage team in covering the race, we face a lot of the same challenges as as cycling media in general faces in terms of uh, just athlete access to the actual athletes and the teams. You know, a lot of these teams are producing their own content. They have their own film crews. And so, um, you know, they're, they're already producing their own content. So, and they're telling the story that they want people to hear, to consume. And, you know, we want to tell our story, which we feel is more authentic, but, um, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's not just for cycling media, that's for media in general. There's always a, a riff there, I think, between the story that, um, that people want to be out there and the story that people actually want to consume. And I guess to that point, right, you just said, um, you know, uh, you're, you're all, you're all like, in order to show a bike race, everyone kind of gets the same amount of footage uh, or the same, sorry, stream of footage. Can you elaborate a bit more on how you make that interesting and like what, what are audiences responding to nowadays? I think, you know, there is more of a desire from audiences to, to, to see an authentic story and get a bit more of an in-depth story. Has that, like, how, how, how have you guys sort of explored that or how do you guys meet that and how is that changing? Yeah, for us, we're just beginning to uh, incorporate um, elements of our own coverage within the live stream, enhance the live product. Um, you know, there are challenges involved for us in terms of, uh, taking, you know, you know what's actually essentially the international feed, which is the feed that's produced by the Giro d'Italia, um, or in, in the case of the Tour de France, we'll be taking the feed uh, that features Robbie McEwen and Matthew Keenan as the commentators. So, um, in, in terms of enhancing that broadcast, there are challenges um, just with our, our production department here of um, how we enhance that, but. Uh, for me, I feel like it's all about a context because the story within the bike race, the it, it's uh, to me, it's beautiful, it's great, and I don't mm. uh, with the graphics and power numbers and all those things. Yeah, that's that's great, and that enhances the viewing experience. But uh, the race in and of itself is the product, the human element, uh, men against men, women against women. Um, at competitors against the landscape, against um, the elements. So I think it's for us just creating context around that, doing a better job of telling that story, and also drawing those stories out and delivering them to people that might not have otherwise consumed them. We carry so many races, and it's our job to watch bike racing. We see so many just really beautiful races and incredible efforts. Um, and just for example, like stage three of the ladies tour of Norway last year was an incredible battle between Corinne Rivera and Marion Voss. And so that's a story that no one else would have necessarily seen or gotten. So uh, for us, it's drawing a lot of those stories out, um, building context around them and talking to the athletes, um, using the footage to illustrate the story and then delivering it to our audience. And what last question, um, what do you think the future of cycling coverage will look like and what are you most excited about uh, in that area? Yeah, again, there's going to be a technological innovation. Um, there's going to be enhancements in the way that bike racing is delivered to us and the way that we're 
uh, able to access it and consume it. But if we look at some of the most popular things in the sport right now, it's it's not things, it's not bells and whistles and things that, uh, you know, glisten. It's gravel racing, and it's it's a movement towards the past, and we see that also in the events that people consume on our platform, Strada Bianchi, the Tour of Flanders, Paris-Roubaix. These, you know, races that bring back sort of a nostalgic era that aren't, um, you know... Um, uh, really influenced by technology or science. It's just people racing a bike over epic terrain. I, I, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And yeah, I, I hope, hopefully we will. Ian, can you explain to me a little bit about how people get flow bikes? Is it just a simple click on your website, pay per race, or is it a subscription? Uh, how, how do you go about getting uh, viewing a race through flow bikes? Yeah, so we're we're a we're a subscription platform. So uh, to watch the live and on demand racing as well as a lot of our content, uh, it requires a pro account. So the um, pro accounts right now are one hundred fifty dollars annually, which is about twelve dollars a month, and we have yeah. Like I said, uh, hundreds of bike races. The core of our schedule this year is the Flanders Classics, the Tour of Flanders, and um, and, the, and the Giro d'Italia in May. But we also have Montan Remo, Strada Bianchi, uh, Il Lombardia, um, as well as smaller events, Tour of Britain, um, lots of great women's world tour racing, cyclocross. So, um, yeah, uh, go to flowbikes.com to sign up for a, a Flowbikes account and then uh, download the apps. Okay, one last thing, because I'm I'm curious for a guy in the biz for a guy in the business. What one thing would you like to see in current cycling coverage that's not there? What what is that 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 blue sky list that you have? What would be that one thing that you would insert into the coverage that would you think would make it more interesting for everyone? Yeah, for me, it's the the in car, the the director's car. You know, this is something that exists in every other vehicle racing sport. Uh, you know, footage from the vehicles, footage from uh, the pit crews, and it kind of blows my mind that those are just things that are like slowly being experimented with in bike racing and when they're delivered they're not uh delivered super well like you're not when we get an on the bike camera shot it's usually when they're like riding down the flat in some you know relatively boring part of the race um, but like, why aren't we getting on the bike camera shots when they're going down a crazy descent, when they're in the sprint finishes, you know, why aren't we in the cars, um, when there's a mechanical or, or a hectic moment, I feel, you know, I guess I talked about that a little bit in the access struggles that, uh, we face as a, as a coverage team creating content around the race, but access within the races as well is a, a big struggle and I think um, I feel like the teams and the racers are so tightly wound about what uh, footage they want out there or who owns it or who controls it and at the end of the day it's 
it's to the detriment of the fans and the detriment of the sport, really. Ian, thank you so much for your time. That was fantastic. Uh, really interesting there. Uh, to our audience, you should check out Flow Bikes if you want to get uh, a little bit more of a in-depth insight into cycling. Um, take care, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, guys. And so there we go. Uh, three different perspectives, Bobby, on what they think the future of the sport is. I really liked um, Gruber's sentiments about maintaining, well, getting inside the the world of the athlete and the world of these teams and really kind of deconstructing that and getting a closer insight, which he, you know, he, he's been getting excited about and I feel is something that is represented in other sports but isn't represented uh, enough in cycling. What about you? What do you want to see or how do you want to see uh, cycling covered in the future? It doesn't matter if it's on the gravel, the road, in the mud, inside. Let's just get more people on bikes. Let's get families doing fun things on bikes together. And that's where all these opportunities rise. Um, as far as, you know, the road cycling, you know, we talked the last episode about the environmental impact. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of my questions is, are we going to see, instead of having these helicopters beaming to an airplane, you know, beaming somewhere else, what about using drones? I know this has been used in, in some sports and there's a lot of little kinks you need to work out, but um, I don't know. I would, I would like to see a little bit more of a, a greener, um, less in, mm. more environmentally friendly way of, of covering these races. And um, being able to use drones instead of, you know, motorcycles and helicopters. I don't know. Is, is that something that we're going to see in the future? I, who knows? I think so. I think, I think a lot of that, like, like camera technology is obviously shrinking um, and becoming, you know, um, far more versatile and, and, um, and uh, rugged. So like putting cameras, I think we're going to see more and more cameras everywhere. Um, one thing I think Ian raised a really good point uh, about getting inside the car and let's get inside the car, let's hear more of that. And I think that ties back to well, one thing that I think really I've kind of is, is given me spirit at least is hearing all of you know these three people, whether they're blazing new trails in what is entertainment in cycling um, or whether they've, they've been, you know, they've sort of witnessed this change. And that is that story is key. And not one of them was like, I want to see bigger, more epic races and race victories. I don't want to see like a, you know, a, you know, anything more wild in the sense of what, what cycling already is in a competitive way, but they want to hear more from the athletes. They want to know more about their story. They want to be able to get more from inside the race, what goes on in the car, what goes on between the rider and the DS. Um, and I think that cycling at least in my experience, has been traditionally, it's blocked that a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, whether it be to not give away what goes on in terms of tactics, etc. Um, but I think, fuck it, let's give that away. Um, and let's open, open these doors up because there is something really fascinating about um, the sport of cycling. You know, it's incredibly tough. It takes a very specific type of individual to even want to engage with it in the first place, um, let alone reach the level that, that, that is required to be, you know, uh, in the world tour and um so yeah I, I i took that away as my kind of um future for the cycling is let's see more of the human story at the center of it i agree 100 percent, and um it is about time that we move into the present and have some sort of live radio feed in the cars 
Uh, all the motorsports have that. Um, I just watched the the premiere of the XFL, uh, another mm-hmm. foot, uh, American Football League here. They had their first games over the weekend, and it was super cool hearing the the play come from the coach's headset into the the quarterback's earpiece, uh, but yeah. before it even happened. And that that even if you don't understand football and all those codes and signs that they use and lingo. It was just kind of neat to say, oh, I know what's going to happen before it actually happens. And I don't know, maybe we're holding on to some secrets. I know that it's been discussed of opening these channels in the cars. And let's, let's get on with it. Let's, let's make this possibility. And with that, Bobby, that brings us to the end of another episode of Put Your Socks On. Thank you to everyone who tuned in, uh, who has been tuning in. Um, we love you guys. Get at us on Twitter at Fizzopod. That's P-Y-S-O-P-O-D. And shoot us episode suggestions, questions, um, just anything you want to know, reach out to us there. Uh, you can download this on iTunes. Um, it's uh, under Fizzo, under P-Y-S-O. Um, subscribe there. You can also get this over on velonews.com. Um, I am at that is Gus on Instagram. Bobby is at Bobby Julik on Instagram. Reach out to us there as well if you want. Uh, next week, we've got an episode on gravel racing and gravel riding and all things gravel, which will be really exciting uh, to touch on because it's a huge subject. We've alluded to it. We've wanted to do an episode on it for ages and we're finally going to do one. So again, thank you very much for listening on and until next week, see you later. Thanks, everyone. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on. Oh,